0: If you want 2024 to be your best running year, it is essential you have a customised training plan tailored to your race schedule and ability level. That's why I'm pumped to have Motive sponsoring the podcast. You can use the app for free, but if you want two months of premium access, you can use code SMARTER2. Sign up at mymotive.com. The link will be in the show notes. On today's episode, catastrophizing and Kinesiophobia, Hindering Your Recovery. Welcome to the Run Smarter podcast, the podcast helping you overcome your current and future running injuries by educating and transforming you into a healthier, stronger, smarter runner. If you're like me, running is life, but more often than not, injuries disrupt this lifestyle. And once you are injured, you're looking for answers and met with bad advice and conflicting messages circulating the running community. The world shouldn't be like this. You deserve to run injury free and have access to the right information. That's why I've made it my mission to bring clarity and control to every runner. So silly right now. I have an entire sheet wrapped around my computer, my microphone and myself as I attempt to reduce the echo throughout my room. I have relocated downstairs. Um, If you guys are following my move along the way, um, last time I was upstairs because Wi-Fi didn't reach downstairs. Now I have Wi-Fi downstairs with a booster but still need more things to fill out my treatment room slash recording room. And so I appeared as a guest on um, running with Jake and he had the same thing. He was moving house and had really high ceilings. And we actually did an entire interview with a doona wrapped around him over the top of his computer. (laughs) And I thought I'd do the same. So I have a sheet. (laughs) I took a photo to put on Facebook and um, social media just to see how ridiculous I look um, so if you saw that I hope you enjoyed what else has happened? Um, in regards to the my running at the moment, um, slowly building things back up as there was a lot of lack of sleep during the move, a lot of physical like demand carrying boxes during the move so made the conscious decision to back off my running. Um, even just like our blinds and curtains haven't been installed yet I think they're getting installed tomorrow but we've been, waking up at 5.30 every morning because that's when it's getting light um, because we don't have any curtains. And so it's bright at 6 a.m. at the moment. So trying to get to sleep really early in the morning, uh, trying to get to sleep really early and then waking up early so that hopefully I get the adequate amount of sleep. But yeah, just in this time, I think it's a sensible decision to, to back off, but slowly building things back up now as my sleep is returning to normal. Once the blinds get installed and sleep improves, um, definitely start ramping things back up. But yeah, we'll take things slow. Today we have catastrophizing and kinesiophobia. And I thought there's a couple of papers that I wanted to delve into. There's three papers in general um, that I wanted to discuss based around these kind of topics, around this kind of one theme. Um, For those who aren't familiar, catastrophizing... Um, maybe I'll bring up Google. Maybe I'll just do this little, hadn't planned to do this, but if I put catastrophizing, um, into Google and hopefully it gives me a definition, pain catastrophizing, let's look at that. Pain catastrophizing is a tendency to describe a pain experience in more exaggerated terms than the average person. I guess that's kind of, um, good way of describing it but it doesn't necessarily need to be around pain um it could just be injury fear of injury fear of re-injury there doesn't necessarily need to be pain associated with it but the fear that is associated with it um is maybe the main key and kinesiophobia i think i'll just copy and paste this i probably should have planned this beforehand but i was too busy dealing with this sheet to (laughs) try and organize anything else um Okay, if I typed in kinesiophobia, kinesiophobia definition is the fear of pain due to movement. And so if someone's injured, um, they don't want to move that area because they're scared that it will produce pain, that's kinesiophobia. So we're not talking about pain in general. Pain cannot be there, but it's the fear of it might produce pain as soon as we attribute movement to that injury. And these papers that I have here are mainly around, well, they are around patellofemoral pain, which is the most common condition when it comes to running, but you can definitely apply this to a lot of common running-related injuries. So the first paper I want to talk about was in 2014 by Julio Dominich uh, and colleagues, and the title was called Changes in Catastrophizing and Kinesiophobia are Predictive Changes in Disability and Pain after treatment in in patients with anterior knee pain. So quite a long (laughs) title, but the purpose of this study was to investigate the psychological variables uh, that relate to the outcome of pain and disability in patients with this chronic anterior knee pain or the the pain at the front of the knee. So what they did was they included people aged between 18 and 50 years old, the Um, They had pain around the anterior aspect of the knee for at least six months. So that's when we start to get into the definition of chronic pain, if a pain or an injury persists beyond that six-month time frame. They excluded people who had a history of like a fracture of the knee or a tumour, infection, torn meniscus, anything that was confirmed, um, ACL injury. They got them to go through an MRI to rule any of these conditions out. Um, so if they didn't have any of those things upon MRI, still had knee pain greater than six months within 18 to 50 years old, they were included in the study. And so they got them to go through certain questionnaires. So a patient completed the questionnaire at the baseline. So before they started doing anything, um, and uh, So before treatment, so the treatment being like physical therapy or even surgery in some circumstances. And they also complete those same questionnaires at six months after the treatment. And so they looked at the pain levels and they were evaluated. Um, pain levels were using like a VAS, this visual analog scale, which is from zero to 10, those sort of things. But they also asked them questions or did submitted questionnaires around disability, around their coping strategies, around their anxiety and depression, around their kinesiophobia and around their catastrophization. So they would ask like certain situations that might um, rank them highly or not highly on things like catastrophization and their fear of moving that injury. And so the results, so they got 47 people that completed all of those questionnaires at the start and at follow-up. And it seems that after treatment, only anxiety, depression, catastrophization, and kinesiophobia correlated with this residual ongoing pain and disability. So that was the only kind of correlation they found. Um, The improvement in pain and disability after treatment significantly correlated the changes in anxiety, depression, kinesiophobia, and catastrophization, uh, but did not simultaneously, um, but did not simultaneously with the, the other pain and coping strategies and other stuff that they, they tested. So, changes in catastrophizing turned out to be the strongest predictor of changes in both pain and disability after treatment. So, someone could have knee pain, um, doesn't matter how, doesn't matter if their level of disability, doesn't matter how severe the pain is, if they rank highly on a kinesiophobia or a catastrophization um, questionnaire. They are less. the odds are they're less likely to improve even if they were given the same treatment as someone else. And so um, they used what they call these two separate regression analysts. So they kind of separate out all these individual factors to try and come to some conclusions. So they performed these analyses, these regression analysis um, for pain and disability as dependent variables. Only changes in catastrophization significant, were significant Predictors in changes of pain level. Changes in catastrophization account for 48% of the explained variance when it comes to changes in pain. So, 48% of the variant in pain fluctuations were predicted from um, catastrophizing, whatever they ranked on that scale. And um, regarding disability, the changes in catastrophizing and anxiety accounted for 56% of the variance. And so, 48% when it came to changes in pain, 56% of variance when it came to disability. And so, quite a um, stark finding, and highlights the importance of looking at these parameters. Looking at not only how people feel with their pain, um, but just delving into how much fear they have around moving that that particular injury, um, and where they think this injury might be. So let's, maybe I'll use an example. So catastrophizing, if someone were to have, um, anterior knee pain, an example of catastrophizing would be, um, it's just going to get worse. If I go up a stair, um, my, my mum had the same knee pain and she ended up in a wheelchair. Will I end up in a wheelchair? That's kind of an extreme example, but I sometimes hear it. Um, one of my friends had knee pain. It could never run again. And I love running. It's the only thing that I'd have for my well being. I don't want that taken away from me. Catastrophizing in those sort of terms. Uh, okay, so the discussion kind of like the t- key takeaway. You aren't a template, so your training shouldn't be either. The Motive app takes training plans written by the best coaches in the world, then creates the most optimal training plan for your schedule, abilities, and goals. It's such a good idea, which is why it is one of the fastest-growing training apps in the world and has thousands of age group athletes signing up every month with a near-perfect 4.9-star rating. It will even plan triathlons, cycling events, duathlons, and other events if you're branching away from running races. You can use the app for free for as long as you want, with the premium access being just $19.99 per month. But if you use code SMARTER2, you can get two months of full premium access sign up through their website mymotive.com and make 2024 your best year yet. At the end of this first paper, they said that the most important finding of this study was that the changes in catastrophizing after treatment predicted the changes in both pain and disability. In a study with functional MRI in patients in chronic with chronic pain, it was seen that ideas of catastrophizing were not only associated with a higher degree of activity in the brain in the brains pain processing areas, but also in the cortical areas related to attention, related to anticipation of pain and emotional aspects of pain. So they're looking at another study and kind of backing up their findings when if they get someone via MRI um, and were had high marks of this catastrophization, the brain's just going off, um, has a lot more activity than someone who doesn't catastrophize. So we're looking at paying attention to that area, really hyper-focused, hyper-vigilant, anticipation of pain, constantly thinking of stuff that they should avoid doing, like all of this is really ramping up the brain processes, which we know, if we know anything about chronic pain, that's kind of what the brain does, it mixes the messages, amplifies a lot of messages, and so it's really important that we focus on these sort of things. So my key takeaways, if we know anything about the brain, if we know anything about pain, we know that the brain determines... The severity of the pain, based on a whole bunch of information about a whole bunch of evidence that it can find. It looks at the area, so you've got your vision, other senses like your, um, say, proprioceptors or like pain sensors. So it gathers that sort of information, but then the brain's also gathering information around past experiences, around beliefs, around culture, all those sort of things to determine how relevant is this pain. Um, how important is this pain? How important is movement? And then we'll assign a certain level of pain according to that. And so if we use that explanation, we can then kind of um, backpedal to this catastrophizing and kinesiophobia. Someone's really hypervigilant, really hypersensitive, and have all these running thoughts of what could be the detrimental things that it could happen. You can just see how this is just ramping up the brain's importance of this area, being like, oh no, we need to really make sure that this we don't injure this further. I'm going to send a lot of pain signals to this area because this is number one on our priority. We don't want to get this worse. We don't want to end up in a wheelchair. We want to be able to run. Let me just make it hypersensitive, make it really painful so that we don't Uh, so that we take care of it and we rest it. So this is where those mixed messages really get quite complicated and it might not be the best thing for you. So um, key takeaway, the levels of pain, the actual severity of the pain is not linked to damage. It's not linked to the amount of damage um, because we know that experiences, beliefs, culture, um, the beliefs of movement can have real significant impacts and can... Be of detriment to your recovery as we see in this study. So, if you go for a run, um, while well, these beliefs are ingrained, if you think that running is going to make your knee worse, it's going to contribute to further wear and tear, it's going to, um, I guess, contribute to high levels of cartilage damage, all those sort of beliefs, your brain will freak out or deliver a whole bunch of pain, a whole bunch of flare ups because that's what it's designed to do. It's designed to protect you. And then if you go for a run and your knee flares up, it only just solidifies that belief that you had initially that running is bad for you. And so you can get really tricky. I want to move on to the second paper now. It was very recent, 2020, um, by Danilo Silva, uh, Rich Willey, who's a very experienced researcher for runners in the U.S., Christian Barton, who's a local Malvernian, um, world-renowned when it comes to treating runners and research into runners. Um, so we've got one that's local, one that's in the US. Sorry, <laughs> Danilo, I have no idea where you're from. Apologies. But the title of this paper was Pain and Disability in Women with Patellofemoral Pain Related to Kinesiophobia, but not to patellofemoral joint loading variables. So they love their long titles with this, but essentially um, we're talking about pain levels. We're talking about, okay, how severe is that pain in relation to knee loading? So if you load it more, does that equal more pain? Or if someone has a lot of kinesiophobia, this fear of movement, does that, is that more correlated to pain and disability? So the purpose of this study was to explore the relationship of patellofemoral joint loading during uh, they they climbed upstairs, so during a stair ascent, and kinesiophobia with self-reported pain and disability, in like we said, women with patellofemoral pain, and so the method they found fifty-three women that had patellofemoral pain for more than three months. So the last paper was six months; this one's three months, and they did this uh, kinematic and kinetic assessment and performed a following stair task. So they got to walk upstairs. They used a whole bunch of reflective markers and applied it to different parts of the joints uh, in order to determine and track people's movements to calculate the amount of loading that goes through the knee, through the hip and other areas of the body. They used a force plate that was embedded in the fourth step. There were seven steps in the staircase all all up, um, but wanted to determine what... The force was going through with that step Um, and then a two meter walkway in front of and behind the staircase to yeah kind of analyze those movements as well so each each person they did it a couple of times they had off five successful trials they had and they collected all the data all the average values for these people but they walked up to the stairs, they calculated what, how they were moving. They then moved up the stairs, they calculated how they were moving, and then a couple of steps or a couple of meters after that staircase. And so they could see this person um, hits the ground a bit harder, this person has a little bit more knee bend, this person um, has a bit of a limp. So they're kind of analyzing how they're moving and predicting whether more load is going through that knee joint or not to see, hey, the group that has more pain actually has more loading of that knee because they're hitting the ground harder, there's more knee bend, there's more disc forces being generated. That's what they're hoping to find. But as the title says, they also fill out questionnaires uh, where they completed a pain questionnaire, a kinesiophobia questionnaire and other kind of patellofemoral pain-specific questionnaires. So the results, um, they found kinesiophobia, so that fear of movement, was moderately associated with self-reported pain in disability in these women with patellofemoral pain. No significant relationships were found between the loading of the patellofemoral joint and self-reported pain and disability. So the degree severity of pain that they were describing doesn't correlate with how much loading goes through that joint during this STAIR assessment. Um, but a moderate association with the amount of kinesiophobia that they calculated. And so kinesiophobia, the kinesiophobia explained 14% of the variance in people with pain in this ascending stairs and 33% of the variance with self-reported disability. So um, 14% for pain, 33% for disability. And the patellofemoral joint loading variables were not found to be related to any pain or disability in this cohort and when it come to the discussion at the end they said that this adds to the growing body of evidence indicating that a potential importance of psychological factors comes into play with this particular condition and like I said at the start I'd argue that this comes into play with a lot of running related issues a lot of running related conditions um, so my key takeaways um, what I see a lot when it comes to knee pain, when it comes to plantar fasciitis, when it comes to high hamstring tendinopathy, there is often an associated fear of loading those joints. And while it might be warranted in certain circumstances, if you had a particular flare up or an overload, of, um, there might be a couple of days or so where you might need to avoid aggravating factors. But... We do really need to reassure people. Um, a lot of time when I'm treating runners, it's a lot of good um, education. Education is a big part. Encouragement of loading, reassuring people that it's okay to load these these particular things in the right circumstances. And if they're very apprehensive, if they're very cautious, if they're very nervous to load it, then we just do so gradually. You do so very gradually and build up from there. And so we're educating people about pain levels, we're educating about low levels of pain are okay, interpreting accurately um, what these pain levels mean, and so reassuring people that way. And the process just settles down the brain, settles down that relevance, that hyper vigilance that people might have and also starts to change their beliefs change their beliefs around pain levels gets things to settle and then f- like future rehab can progress so education is key reassurance is key with a lot of these people especially you'll come across the quite nervous types the quite anxious types the ones who have maybe a history of anxiety and depression and need to really tailor that education, reassurance side of things as well. So I think for you as a listener, um, if you are injured or not, just self-reflect on your past injuries, your past pain levels, the past thoughts and beliefs that you've had. Um, this isn't permission to run through an injury or a permission to run through pain. Um, please don't take this as that type of episode. That's encouraging those sort of things. We know that sometimes running can be okay. Um, our running is rehab episode was really nice at explaining that, but we don't want to aggravate things and just do too much and say, Brody said that I need to overcome my kinesiophobia by just running through it and thinking pain's okay. That's not what this is about. Um, however, like if kinesiophobia is quite high with someone, um, and they're very anxious and they're very apprehensive to load a certain joint and, um, they have, they currently have a very low level of functioning, um, it's definitely something to investigate. Okay, let's dive into paper number three. Okay, so let me zoom in. The title of this last paper that we're going to discuss, which covers a bit of like the treatment side of things. Um, how do I, it's another 2020 paper, so quite recent, by Bagheri, I want to say, and colleagues. The title was Adding Mindfulness Practice To exercise therapy for female recreational runners with patellofemoral pain. So rather than looking at um, patellofemoral pain in the general population, this one looked at recreational runners, really nice, really relevant, really recent, which is why I included it in this episode. So the purpose of this study was to examine the effects of adding an eight-week mindfulness program to an exercise therapy program on the perceptions of pain severity, knee function, fear of movement, uh, and pain catastrophizing for people with this condition for patellofemoral pain. So the mindfulness training, the mindfulness program focused on these things. They focused on pain severity, knee function, they focused on the fear of movement, they focused on pain catastrophizing, just addressing these kind of things, just saw how they would recover. So They found thirty female runners with patellofemoral pain, uh, and they were randomly assigned to one of two groups. So the first group was just an exercise group, and the second one was mindfulness plus exercise group. So they've only just added in this mindfulness training to the second group. So when it comes to exercise that was applied to both people, uh, both groups. Sorry, I should probably put my phone on silent. see my my phone buzz gets through my sheet that I have over my head. Um, There was 13 exercises. So there was five stretching exercises. There were seven strength and balance exercises. Um, So they didn't really go into those details, but you can assume they're kind of just generic strength, knee and hip strengthening exercises. So they did that for 18 weeks, three sessions per week with a duration of um, 60 to 90 minutes per session. So they're doing quite a lot of strength work and quite a lot of stretching. Um, The initial intensity for most of these strength um, exercises was set to a 10 rep max uh, and then produced, which produced a VAS rating of less than three. If we know anything from studies, um, we know that's pretty good. We want like pain-free shouldn't be the desired outcome. We should have low levels of pain, um, provide there's no flare-ups. So they said here that the pain rating should be less than a three out of 10. If participants, if participants did all the exercises without aggravating the knee, excessive fatigue or localized muscle pain 24 hours after doing the exercise, then the load was increased. Participants were given were also given instructions on how to manage their training loads and modify their running accordingly to their symptoms. And they were asked to increase their weekly exercise frequency and reduce the duration speed for each session. Really sound advice. I think that follows in line with everything that we learn within the podcast. We're spreading the load more throughout the week, giving them education around pain levels, definitely progressing their exercises once it's suitable. So yeah, very sound advice. And so both both groups, group, group one and group two, received those, that, those exercises. However, group two did the exercises but also did mindfulness. So mindfulness exercises, um, they received instructions on mindfulness meditation, practices such as breathing meditation, such as a body scan meditation, gentle yoga, sitting meditation and walking meditation instructions were expected to increase awareness of the thoughts increase awareness of the body sensations around um, increase the awareness of emotions with an attitude of curiosity openness and accepted accepted and acceptance <laughs> got there in the end so you can see how this mindfulness group starts to address kinesiophobia starts to address catastrophization because you're digging into your thoughts, you're digging into your emotions, the, the body sensations um, yeah so a really nice approach to tackling the, these sort of things uh, where I'm up to, the mindfulness exercise group received an 8 week mindfulness intervention and in addition to the exercises and so participants were requested to practice these skills for up to 45 minutes per day so quite a lot of mindfulness exercise 45 minutes per day Participants were assessed at baseline. They were assessed at week nine and after the completion of the mindfulness training. Um, So they were assessed at baseline, week nine, week 18, and two months after the end of the intervention. And so what were the results? At baseline, um, all pain characteristics were the same amongst groups. Uh, when it comes to pain intensity results, so pain during stepping decreased more in participants with mindf- in the mindfulness exercise group than those in the exercise group at 9, 18 weeks and follow-up. Pain during running decreased more in participants in the mindfulness group than um, those in the exercise group at 18 weeks and at follow-up. Usual, their usual pain decreased Uh, more for the people within this mindfulness group than those in the exercise group at follow-up. So that was pain. When it come to function, so knee function improved more in the mindfulness group than the exercise group at at week 18 and at follow-up. The fear of movement, so fear of movement decreased significantly from baseline to week nine for participants in the mindfulness group, but not for the people in the exercise group. Pain catastrophization. So, pain catastrophization decreased significantly in the mindfulness group from baseline to nine weeks, um, from baseline to nine weeks, but the exercise group did not. So, their discussion at the end. So, overall, the results indicate that adding an eight week mindfulness intervention to exercises led to decreased pain uh, intensity decreased fear of re-injury, decreased pain catastrophization, uh, improved knee function, and coping and managing with um, knee pain in recreational runners with patellofemoral pain. These findings are consistent with research showing that mindfulness... There goes Jasmine again. Showing that mindfulness training can enhance responses to non-pharmacological interventions for knee osteoarthritis. So that's what they found kind of in the past, other studies that they've done in the past shown that mindfulness can help people with OA. Um, It appears that catastrophizing prone people have difficulty removing their focus from painful and threatening stimuli, exacerbating pain-related fear. Catastrophizing is also associated with excessive emotional evaluation of pain, which facilitates pain perception. So this is in the discussion of the paper, but was a really nice way of looking at things um, or a really good way of wording things. So people who who are catastrophizing prone, which um, tends to be that kind of anxious personality, they just have um, their painful and threatening stimuli is heightened. Like I said, there's also um, excessive emotional evaluation of pain. Those sort of things, and so yeah, mindfulness was helping with that. It shows in this study that um, runners' knee, patellofemoral pain, can help. Other studies have shown that knee osteoarthritis can help. But I'll, I would argue, I would agree that any other running-related injury, if you have, if you're ranking quite high on this kinesiophobia or this catastrophizing, then the same intervention would definitely help your treatment, would definitely help your progress, hence the title of this episode. So my final takeaways, um, consider your own thoughts, consider your own beliefs when it comes to an injury that you have had in the past or your current injury that you're negotiating um, and when it comes to that rehab process. So that might look like someone who is injured, who is struggling to recover, has high levels of pain, high levels of irritability compared to the loading response. So if they have knee pain and all of a sudden they climb up a flight of stairs and that sparks a lot of pain, there's no. it's a bit of a mismatch compared to the pain they're experiencing and the loading that they have. Um, Obviously, if they're associated with a lot of fears, anxiety, and the thoughts that might be hindering you, um, it's this sort of presentation where you might want to consider mindfulness and consider just a different approach to your traditional... um, like physiological rehab tools, where it's just strengthening, load management, return to running, all those sort of things that work really well, but may increase the effectiveness if you start implementing a few of these other mindfulness strategies. So consider consider these findings um, and implement these kind of suggestions if you think think that you or someone you know might be in this category that's it for today, guys. Um, I hope you enjoyed. Uh, hopefully, I don't think it would be too echoey because I've gone to those extremes. Um, in a, I've just finished interviewing Elliot White. Um, the episode's going to come out in about three or four weeks or so, but that would be quite echoey because I didn't want to do the interview with him under a sheet. Um, but we'll see how things go. Hopefully, this clinic recording room that I have has artwork and has a few more um, bits of furniture and things over the next couple of weeks as I record these episodes because I really don't want to spend a lot of time in this kind of cubby house sheet that I've made for myself and yeah until next time guys remember every new insight brings you one step closer to your next running breakthrough who are looking for evidence-based long-term solutions and will not accept problematic quick fixes. And last but not least, who serve a cause bigger than themselves and pass on the right information to other runners who need it. I look forward to bringing you another episode and helping you on your run smarter path.